This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are recording this episode live at Fern Cotton's Happy Place Festival. They are doing this all over again up at Tatton Park on Saturday the 2nd and Sunday the 3rd of September and tickets are still available. And just to say, today's episode discusses eating disorders. So just a trigger warning to maybe come back to this episode or skip it if this might not be right for you right now. Hi everyone. Oh my goodness, I'm so blown away. I always come to these things and think no one's going to show up, even though I've been doing this for such a long time. So even to see all of you here is honestly the biggest hug that I could ever receive. So I'm so grateful to see you and I'm really excited for the guest that I'm about to introduce. So my guest today is someone that I've actually known for a long time online and actually we recently met in person and she is just so wonderful and has such a broad experience of things. She is a podcaster, an influencer and fledgling comedian. Anoni has over 4 million downloads on her podcast Adulting and is a former fitness it girl. She has now carved a path as our online favorite girl best friend and continues to help with everyday dilemmas such as breakups, Botox, and a side of feminism. Introducing my wonderful guest today, Anoni. I'm nervous. <laughs> I don't know why I brought my bag. <laughs> Just in case. As you can see, we both saw festival vibes and really ran with the theme. So um, cowboy boots on in check. Also, Anoni has gone very Barbie core as well, which I love. love. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest today. And I'm really excited for us to get into our conversation. I think that one of the places that I want to start and why I feel that um, you were such a perfect guest for the podcast is that I think you and I come from a background of disordered eating, diet culture, and we were very entrenched in those early days of courgette spaghetti and um, I guess trying to be the thinnest versions of ourselves possible in the pursuit of quote unquote health. Obviously, I know that you've gone on a similar journey to me in terms of coming out the back of that. And I wondered if you could talk to me first about Instagram in 2016 when you and I first met and where you found yourself then. Such a good question. Well, I started out in fitness as my like Instagram influencer journey. Um, I was studying English literature at uni and then just suddenly started posting those pictures of my bum online and my parents weren't that proud of me for doing that. Um, but I basically at the time, I think similar to you when we were younger, I was quite scared of like sports and like being in team things it would make me really nervous and when I got to uni and I found this personal trainer and I got quite lean I was like oh my god I found the key to happiness and like I finally found a way to kind of lose weight which was kind of everyone's goal back then and then when I got really lean and I kind of reached the apex of what my body could do sort of like physically and I started getting followers on Instagram and everything seemed like it was going really well I looked around and realized everything wasn't necessarily better just because I was thinner and then I had to start kind of undoing those years of disordered eating and like ideas that I had in my brain about if I was just a bit smaller I'd be happier if I could just be a bit thinner then this would work out actually like being thinner 
didn't solve any of my problems. Um, if anything, it just made me quite grumpy. I think that's one of the things that I really relate to is the fact that you and I both pursued a very much of an, an aesthetic goal. And when you get there and everyone tells you that like, you know, and, and we know that this is kind of validated in society is that, you know, if someone loses weight, it's, oh my God, you look amazing. But yet if you go the other way, it's like, oh, oh, you know. And I think that we very much went down that route of thinking that that was the thing that we needed to be. And very much, again, like I said at the start, sort of it, that being wrapped up in what we thought to be health. And I think, you know, some of what I feel about that time is very much wrapped up in the context in which we existed. We only have to look to magazines and television and all of the things that we absorbed as we were growing up. Even, you know, for example, from our parents, a lot of this is kind of a wider context. And I wondered if you could talk to me a little bit about, I guess, how you started to undo all of that. I know that in my own journey, it's taken me years to get to where I am now. It's so difficult. And I still have days where I'm incredibly challenged by that mindset of, oh, but maybe if I just looked a little bit thinner, then, you know, things would be better. That might be better or whatever. How do you start to undo that mindset? I think it's a really good point about the context. So at the time, and I really looked up to Alice as well when I was first starting out, because she had started way before me in the Instagram world. And at that time, we did think that was healthy, kind of like exercising twice a day, really eating very, very little not going out not drinking like my life was really boring and and to be truthful like I completely lost my libido I felt like I need to have a nap every day I didn't drink alcohol like all the fun stuff that humans are supposed to do I wasn't doing it's very sad so I think that part of the realization for me came when I finished university and I moved to London and all my friends were like carrying on with their lives and I was still kind of stuck in this moment of feeling like I've got to be in the gym every single day. It was kind of ruling my life in a way that wasn't conducive to me just being an adult and growing up and experiencing life and doing different things. So it was kind of not necessarily me choosing to make a change initially. It was just like, this isn't, you can't function like this. When I was at uni, I was in like nine contact hours a week. So I could be in the gym like twice a day and like being really funny with my food. But when you're a real person paying bills out in the world with a real job, you don't have that time and that space. So that forced me to kind of relax a little bit, realize that I wasn't going to die if I ate a bowl of pasta or if I went for a glass of wine or if I went out with my friends. And actually that made life more fun. And then I started to kind of like come away a bit from the fitness industry as well, not focus as much on my body, find other interests outside of my physicality rather than being so obsessed with what I look like. And that again slowly helped me edge towards a place where I stopped having that relationship with food in my body because it wasn't, it just stopped being the most important thing, I guess. Does that answer that question? It does. And I also think anyone that's been in that place, and I know that many of you might have, you know, been there and are now finding themselves here and have gone through a similar journey. I think many of us recognize how much headspace all of that stuff takes up. I think that what we believed to be health and, you know, pursuing this kind of ideal of how we thought we should look and how we thought we should be actually becomes incredibly time consuming energy zapping and I think that you know one of the things that you said was I kind of moved away from the fitness industry I know for me working in the gym day in day out and being surrounded by this kind of narrative the whole time it was as though like nothing else existed in the world and I think even in the last few years I have gone full frontal like just have fun with my life have fun seeing friends enjoy saying yes to things that was a big thing for me like say yes to stuff take stuff with both hands have fun and I think that we forget that as part of this big puzzle that we know to be health, having fun, having social connection, 
having brilliant friendships is actually a huge part of that as well. It's so interesting what you say about it feeling like it's the whole world. When I was at uni, I did a bikini competition, which if you guys don't know, is basically like a bodybuilding competition where you get a really dark spray tan, wear a sparkly bikini and like pose on a stage in like stripper heels. And, um, and you get judged for how you look. And at the time, I just thought that was so normal. And I look back and I'm like, that's the wildest thing I've ever done. Like, why was I doing that? But you can, I think, fitness and, and that side of things, when we're not talking about wellness, we're talking about the aesthetic, can become so absorbing that you sort of forget about real life. It's quite addictive in a very negative way. And that's where fitness and wellness kind of slide, I think, mm. into different places. And as you said, like, wellness to me now is seeing all your friends all the time, going for a walk instead of going to the gym, having a nap. Love that. <laughs> Here for the napping. One of, I guess, my more challenging questions, and I think one of the things that I have had to work really hard on, and I know that you've, you've done a similar thing, is that coming off the back of that period of time, and definitely over the last sort of five years, I've felt an immense sense of guilt for, you know, the part that I played in, I guess, what was a really damaging time for women in their bodies. And I think that there has to be an acknowledgement, I guess, of some responsibility that, that you, I, and all of those that kind of were a part of that movement take and it's hard it's hard knowing that in some way you contributed to a really damaging narrative and I guess what's also hard is having to publicly walk away from that and say I got it wrong how did you find I guess climbing down from that pedestal of saying this is how I do things to then oh actually no it's not and and that was what I said then and this is what I think now I think similar to you back then we would share so much of our lives online and we would write these really long captions and everyone it was a really community feel so for me it didn't feel that drastic it was like all of us together were in this shifting time where the world was starting to say actually sort of like restricting yourself loads isn't good for you and maybe you should think about it differently so I think to look from now to 2016 is quite a stark difference but to get there it was quite a gradual thing where me and my audience were kind of it was like a conversation was happening and, and we'd I used to think I could stay competition lean forever and I was like I'm going to be able to do this and then as I started to realize that that wasn't possible and perhaps some people that I looked up to were using methods of like that aren't very good for you in order to stay lean or like doing things I then started to slowly be like oh okay that's not how I'm going to do things and my audience responded in kind so it never felt I definitely agree that I was like someone that was showing this lifestyle to other people but it felt like we went together on this journey of realizing I kind of was like oh my god I didn't know and they were like neither did we and then we all sort of moved, moved off you have your book, Bad Influence, that's coming out in August. And I know that you talk about body image a lot in the book. What's your take on body image now? Self-love, self-acceptance. Do you feel that you've had to shift your perspective? You've had to relearn different things. You've had to relearn, I guess, your environment in which you find yourself in, in terms of diversifying who you, who you look at and who you kind of take influence from. So the, the book, Bad Influence, is kind of a, a memoir about how I got into influencing and how I ended up where I am today. And the first chapter is talking about that like 2016 era and about kind of body image and stuff um, and where I am now and I write this in the book is kind of crazy is I don't I've got to the point where I don't necessarily think about it but that's also because and this is going to be a really long-winded answer I've got to a place where I've managed to create exercise being a habit and I eat kind of well and nutritiously just by virtue of having done that for a long time so I am in a place where my body isn't marginalized and I still fit a very specific beauty standard but staying like that I don't know how to explain it isn't it's not a conscious thing. It's just I've, the way I've decided to design my life now means that I always feel quite good in my body. So it's twofold in that, yes, I'm not thinking about it a lot, but I also don't have to think about it because I'm in a position of 
privilege where I fit a and certain look. And I think that's a really difficult thing as well because you or I necessarily cannot talk about body positivity because we're not coming from it from a state of being in a in a larger body and, and knowing what that feels like. You know, b being totally honest, we still you know live in small, very socially acceptable bodies. So to talk about body positivity, self acceptance is quite a challenging thing because I kind of I come at, come at it from more of a body neutrality perspective in that the way that I look at how I feel about my body now is to not really feel anything as in when I wake up in the morning I try not to do that first thing where I go oh, I feel x you know whether that be good or bad it's almost trying to remove the fact that I feel any way about my body because my body is my body whether it's you know looking a certain way or not it's being very neutral about how I feel about it rather than trying to occupy a conversation where you and I don't necessarily belong nor do we have experience of that do you know what I mean part of the reason why I started my podcast which is called adulting about all of the things we never got taught in school which covers kind of like every single topic you can imagine from like feminism to colonialism to everything was because when I was in the fitness industry and part of my role was sort of like posting fitness videos of me online every day I found it really draining and I found it really flattening and I know that you still do it but you talk about it much more broadly but I personally couldn't concede just being seen as like a body and obviously you've got all these other things you do so when I started doing this podcast where it was actually nothing about me it was actually talking about the fact that I'm this very posh, default, privileged white woman who's quite ignorant about the world, talking to other people who have much more interesting, vast experiences than me. Even just kind of like validating your experience of the world outside of the way that you look and not making it the most important thing and just being like, actually, fundamentally, I've got so much more to say, think and do today than worry about how I look. And I know that's easier said than done, but a lot of mine has just been trying to place the onus on what I can learn about the world or what other people can teach me rather than thinking about my body at all, if that makes and sense. And I think that's such a hard thing and, and, and I completely agree with you in the sense that not just showing up as a body because I know that for me, for example, my entire existence was I need to be validated for the way that I look. So I would spend so long getting the right photo with the right lighting and the right kind of this or whatever look so that I could get the validation that I wanted because being totally honest with you, that was what was important to me. And when you move away from that or you kind of transcend into a different space, it's really hard then to kind of shift your mindset to be this isn't the most important thing about me and I actually need to look at it in a very different way but we are still existing in a very aesthetically driven space i.e social media which still thrives off you know pushing bikini photos and um, I guess kind of still the algorithm will try and feed you a certain type of person so even when I noticed that shift I found it really hard to take my audience to be um, focusing more on what I had to say rather than what I looked like did you feel the same? I think you still, I mean, it's like the way these platforms work, like you say, it's still a visual platform. So, you know, the kind of beauty standards play a massive part in who's able to create a following and, and whether it's like your house is beautiful, or your clothes are beautiful, you're beautiful, your body, whatever, that, that, that is always going to play a part in how, unfortunately, the algorithms work and stuff like that. So it can be really difficult. Um, but that's why I think podcasts are amazing as well, because it is just audio. That was another like saving grace for me. I know that we can see you here now, but I love the fact that people were just listening to me and not actually at me because I felt quite over observed I don't know if you ever felt that and I felt I started to feel like resentful of having to be physically visible all the time that being said if you go on my Instagram now there's about three bikini pictures up but <laughs> so that is a but they're not they're kind of like I was on holiday rather than feeling like oh my god I've got to kind of like be giving you my body and I was going to say about looking at your body I remember when I was really 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 lean every morning I'd wake up and I used to like pinch my stomach and I don't I don't want this to like be triggering for anyone but I was so small like I couldn't have been tiny I was scrawny scrawny tiny tiny and I was obsessed with how I looked and it was because the more you obsess over it the worse it is and the, and like I was 
wasn't any happier. Now I feel much more attractive and sexy and love my life because I've got lovely friends and I have a great relationship with my parents and I have lovely food. And all of those things add up to attractiveness much more than taking all of that pleasure away but I think that can be quite hard to get to grips with when you're in the throes of it's such a journey it's such a journey and again like I said earlier like it's something that I think that can seem very easy online you know you suddenly wake up one day and think I'm not going to think about my body anymore I'm just going to be really like you know neutral and positive and 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 it's not that way at all and I think it is it's really really hard and it's almost like a daily check-in for me um I don't know about you but like I really have to learn to challenge that internal narrative because we all have it like whether we like it or not at some point, that voice in your head will start to talk to you. You know, it might be that you're premenstrual and you're just feeling a little bit, Ugh, and that you start to go, oh, maybe if I just changed this or I just tweaked that. And I think that it's making sure that people don't assume that it's kind of an overnight light switch flick that goes, suddenly everything's fine and I feel great about myself and rather see it as, hang on a second, this is actually something that all of us need to learn is a journey that we're going to go through through our entire lives. You know, I'm 30 now and I can even notice now that there's certain things, not necessarily physically, but I know that like, for example, my recovery from the gym is a little bit worse than it used to be and I, I can't get away with not doing the stretching like after my sessions and stuff, for example. And I think that we're going to go through these periods of our life where you might, you know, have children or go through the menopause or have these pinpoints in our lives where we have to learn that, you know, our bodies are not going to stay the same as they were when we were 18 and that's really really important and so it's more about um having those kind of tools and mechanisms that you can challenge that internal voice you can question things rather than accepting them to be truth that are far more valuable than just sort of saying don't care about your body so much you know start going and having fun with your friends take it easy whatever I do think that that's um a really important message um I want to move on because I I really do see you and I introduce you as kind of the internet's big sister like you really cover an expansive you know range of topics and I know that in your book you're also going to touch on these where you kind of ask out questions and people come back and often they can be quite controversial topics that I guess all of us might feel a little bit too scared to maybe have that conversation with other people one of those you talked about recently was um about the subject of kind of changing ourselves and how we feel about ourselves as we age can you be a little bit more kind of um open about I guess some of the conversations that you've had about women changing their bodies maybe going for tweakments maybe having things that might not necessarily align with a feminist viewpoint but can still be seen as something that's maybe positive so this came about on my Instagram because a lot of people were talking about how nowadays they feel like there's a bigger pressure for women to get tweakments so like Botox and filler I think years ago it was kind of the remit of just the super rich or like the very famous and now it's kind of trickling down into more and more people and women my age are are feeling more pressure to get these kind of things done and we started having a debate about you know should we should we, as women, as a collective, be like, actually, no, this pressure to stop aging is just ridiculous. It's, it's misogynist, and we need to all together, collectively say we're not going to do it. Or do we just accept it? Because truth be told, like, I, I dye my hair, and I've had Invisalign, and I've whitened my teeth, and I've put fake tan on, and I've got makeup on. Like, is it just another thing? And we kind of were going around in circles trying to figure it out. I mean, whichever way you look at it, it's really depressing, as women, the amount of time and energy that we put into being presentable like how you remove your hair what you do to your hair like there's just so many processes and things so much money that we spend and I do it all so I'm absolutely guilty of it I guess the debate kind of ended up being like some people which I do agree with morally um, but I'm not so good at practicing is that if we all just went actually no this is bullshit like I'm gonna grow out my armpit hair and I'm not gonna dye my hair and I'm gonna wake up for work in the morning and I'm gonna look like I do and I'm not gonna be told that I don't look professional enough whatever then we could all join in and that would be kind of better in the long run but the problem is 
you can't ever get everyone to do that. And so are we then restricting other women who might want to get tweakments? There wasn't basically an answer, really, because some people were conflicted. Well, I think it's about a conversation about is it feminist to be able to, to police what other women do or to, to, to pass judgment on what other people choose to do for their own you know, personal well-being. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a really difficult conversation. Like, for example, it's, it's such a slide, sliding spectrum, isn't it? From, you know, getting your teeth Invisaligned or whatever it is, all the way up to fake tan, makeup, hair dye, whatever it is, lashes, I don't know, like the, the list is endless and, and it is depressing, but it's also a really important conversation to have because um, it's, it's, it's like two, two halves, isn't it? It's one, we should support women in however they choose to make themselves feel good. On the other side, we're all contributing towards a really problematic, you know, environment. I think that's the thing, because it's like the individual versus the system, and the system is fundamentally corrupt, which makes women feel like we're inadequate and we're not good enough, and that we're, you know, the minute we get past a certain age, we're, we're done for, whereas men continue to excel as they go on. I wonder if maybe the question isn't, is, is it feminist? Because I think fundamentally, no, any enhancement that we make to our aesthetic selves is probably not feminist to be truthful, like to have equal opportunity and equal rights for across genders would mean, you know, that we don't feel that want or need to, to look a certain way. So I don't know if the question is, is it feminist? I think it's more like, how do we navigate making informed decisions and deciding mm. what works for us and it's difficult because again it's like back to the privilege thing and talking about you know if you're someone that's like naturally very beautiful and you've never worn makeup and you don't need to get your hair done you look incredible you can't then go up to someone and be like oh my god I'd never get xyz done because I and it's like cause that's a false economy you know there is we do have different privileges in the way that we look and the access we have to things I think the other problem with like treatments and things is they are expensive and it, is it just cutting out another group of women who maybe couldn't afford to get those things done is it just making the bar even higher I mean what is it telling young girls I don't know I, I really don't know I don't think there is an answer but I think it's really interesting and I remember coming across that on your Instagram and thinking that was a really interesting conversation to have maybe a more kind of positive and uplifting um, conversation is around female friendship I think that this is a huge topic that a lot of women that I've recently spoken to are really going through in analyzing how we how we navigate friendships as we get older I think friendship is such a huge and kind of really personal topic and some people are lucky enough to have an amazing group of friends that they've been friends since they were three years old and that's wonderful but I also think if you're like myself who didn't necessarily have that connection to at school or kind of um, went through I guess difficult issues with with you know relationships and friendships um, growing up female friendship can be a really hard thing to navigate and I think particularly as you get older and lives go in different ways and we all take different paths I think understanding how to facilitate good female friendships is really tricky. You talk about this a lot. Can you explain, I guess, your advice on female friendships? We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. 
can you explain, I guess, your advice on female friendships? It's definitely the biggest question I get on my Instagram. I think women especially feel a lot of shame around not having enough friendships or not having the right kinds of friendships. And like life is so busy. I find it really hard to pin my friends down. Like you try and host a barbecue and everyone's like, I'm free on the 4th of November. You're like, what? So it is, it is crazy. But I've in the last few years started to really try to prioritize my female friendships. I'd always been a boyfriend girl. I've been a serial monogamist from the age of like 13. And I had a big breakup a couple of years ago. And I suddenly realized that my constants had always been these women in my life. And I was like, oh, screw man. <laughs> I'm going to like really put my all into my friendships and really realize how valuable they are. Like men have come and gone. I've had about 20 the ones. But those girls in my life are always there. And so I really just started to treat my friendships like I treated relationships, as in like making an effort, booking them in. Treating like the way you sometimes would treat a romantic partner that you don't know that well, the way the efforts that you go to, the lengths you go to. And then you think, why am I not doing this like for my friends? Why are we not sort of working at our friendships like it's a relationship, knowing that it takes effort and time? Because sometimes you could look up after a few years and be like, oh my God, I haven't spoken to that person. I just wasn't concentrating. And now, you know, everyone's kind of disappeared. Do you think part of it is as well, I, and, and this is only my experience, so I can't speak for everyone. I don't want to make a huge generalization, but I know that in my friendships, for example, there's always been um, from a young age I remember this immense sense of like competition between my friendship groups and I and I never kind of subscribed to that but I always found it massively intimidating and kind of it meant that I never felt that I truly and I'm and I'm such a kind of I'm really good one-on-one -on -one, and if you're if I'm speaking to you I'm speaking to you you know what I mean but I found in groups I just found it incredibly kind of competitive and these strange dynamics that you have to deal with in terms of there being like a ringleader and if you're not that you're like desperately trying to keep up with you know whoever it is that's the leader you know and I think that um I, I know that that's a big thing for me in terms of female friendships is trying to forget the fact that that was my past and to trust women, which I think can be really difficult. You know, a lot of us find it really hard to let women in, to let, it, you know, to let each other kind of be comfortable in each other's presence. Some might find it easier than I do, but I think that for me, a big learning curve was not seeing other women as competition, which unfortunately, you know, I grew up in a big Jewish family. The women were always, you know, kind of judged on their appearance and their aesthetic and, and you know, what they contribute to the family, whereas the boys could get away with like literally murder. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard. Hard. And I think we have to unlearn a lot of these things that we can kind of be baggaged with as we grow up when it comes to how we approach female friendships. I think it's interesting. I think school is always so tricky. People either love it and have amazing experiences, and like you said, have friends from when they were like three. Others maybe really suffer in school, find it really difficult, find those group settings really hard, and come to flourish when they go to university. Or I think everyone has a period in their lives when they feel more comfortable. And I think that, again, this idea that friendships are better if you've been friends with someone for 11 years or 20 years or whatever isn't fundamentally true you could meet someone at 13 you can meet them at 35 and they might be that person that you need to be really close with I think it's like having that openness I met my best best girlfriends when I was at uni because again I did feel a bit of that I'm still friends with my school friends but I did always feel a bit like oh I'm the odd one out and when I went to uni I just was like I'm just gonna be me and then that let the right people in if that made sense whereas at school I really was I was trying too hard mostly to get with all the boys, but also just to make everyone like me. So I wasn't really being myself, so I could never really form those like real friendships. Whereas then I went to you and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be me and I'm a bit chaotic. And that attracted the right people. And I think it's not being afraid, not trying to fit in, because there's always people that you'll get on with, but when you kind of like try and fit, it's like trying to fit around mm. peg into a square hole. And I also think it's knowing, and I think this is a big thing for me, is that like, just because you have a friend at one point in your life doesn't mean they have to be there forever. Is that there's saying that you friends are there for like a reason a season or for 
can't remember what the last one is, but there's something. Um, and it means that like people sometimes can come into your life and go out of your life and that's okay. And understanding that because someone isn't in your life forever, it's not a failed friendship. It was like someone was there for a reason and you might've had a close bond, but also your lives can move in completely different places. I know at the moment, one of the big things is a lot of my friends are having children. And so as their lives get filled with that's, you know, that kind of whole different gear shift, our lives are not necessarily as conducive. It doesn't mean they're not my friends anymore, but our lives just kind of have gone a bit like this and that's okay and I think understanding that you don't necessarily need to like be friends with people for the rest of your life because they're like a close part of your you know of your friendship group I think that's really important I think as well like friendships ebb and flow like I have friends that I'll be really close with and then we'll kind of like come away from a bit and we'll go in together and then mm. it kind of like within my groups everyone sort of like swaps around who they're seeing the most and hanging out with the most and like if I had to think of who would be my bridesmaids every year it would be like a different five depending on who I'm like talking to the most um, so I think there's that sense of being able to let people go away and do their thing and then like keeping that door open I think female friendship is such a complicated one because there's so much pressure on it and it, it's I don't know well, it's because we also had like sex in the city and friends and we had all these examples of what friendship quote unquote should look like and if your friendships didn't necessarily emulate like what you think they should be like what you what you saw on tv what you saw maybe in the media you almost felt like a bit of a failure I know that I definitely did you know I didn't have this like close close sex in the city group of four that we knew everything and we spoke to each other all the time on the on the phone I mine just didn't look like that and I thought that that was almost like a, a failure on my part when actually just my friendships operate in different ways I think also as you got older you figure out what's fulfilling to you so I'm a bit similar to you I can't deal with a massive group of friends I find that quite overwhelming. I'm very good one-on-one. -on -one. Never get me in like a bathroom on a night out because I will chew your ear <laughs> off. But, or, or like a small group, whereas some of my other friends love, they just want to be around like 50 yeah. people. And I think as you get older, it's all just about recognizing what works for you and what serves you and never looking at someone else's life. And just because they look happy, mm -hmm. think that's what happiness should look like for me. Because everyone does everything so differently. And what you really value, if that makes you happy, absolutely doesn't matter what anyone else is doing, really. What do you think social media has done? to our relationships? Oh, um, such a good question. I, do, I mean, one of the worst things I think it's done is that you watch your friend's stories and then just don't speak to them for a week. So you're like, oh, they're in the pub. Oh, they went to see that person. Da, da. And then you don't actually talk because you're sort of like, there's this feeling like you've connected or you've hung out and you haven't actually. So I think it's making us more distant in that way. I think... Again, I'm in a really lucky place and I talk about this in the book and I don't know if you feel this way, but because I started as a creative or someone on the back end of Instagram, like I kind of see behind the smoke and the mirrors. I feel like I'm quite impervious to that comparison thing because I look at it and I'm like, I know I've taken like a really nice couple happy picture when we were like having a fight or like I know that I've posted from an event. It wasn't actually that good. And so I think I'm really able to stay grounded in my real life, even when other people's lives look amazing. I'm like, I bet there's like a pile of dirty laundry behind that. Do you know what I mean? And so I think what's difficult as a consumer if you're always comparing yourself it can just make you feel like you're you're not enough across the board and I feel really lucky to have that perspective um so be a bit more cynical I'd say of the people you follow <laughs> I think that's a really good point I think that it is all smoke and mirrors you know in my experience I I think one of my biggest frustrations with Instagram now is knowing that uh the reality is often very different to what is what is shown and even this word like authentic oh they're so authentic it's like well, is it because all of it is performative to a yeah. certain degree like none of it is real nobody goes you know for a run and sets up the camera and it's like <sighs> you know like it's all it's all performative and as much as it can be um as close to real reality as possible it's not so at some point we're all kind of accepting that you know everything that goes on there is to a certain extent performed or done for 
the audience that are consuming it. And I think that's a really difficult thing to understand. And you're right, that then makes me have this inner frustration of it kind of is all smoke and mirrors. I, I at the moment, have this big bugbear with the trend of like filming everything that you do. Like Paddy would literally lose his mind <laughs> if I sat up the camera in the kitchen and us, we're just like cooking in the kitchen. He'd be like, what are you doing? But, um, but I think that for me, it's almost like we're becoming so obsessed with every part of someone's life that just as you said earlier, when you were like, you had kind of felt that you had to show everything. I think that's a really problematic aspect of social media right now we're seeing so much of everyone's lives we're sharing so much that there's the opportunity to have comparison literally from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep on everything and I think that's really difficult I think as like watching it especially like someone that's really aspirational on Instagram or anyone I think you need to watch it like a reality TV show in that like it is a re it is our real lives but it is also like as you said the minute you open that camera something shifts something changes you're not going to act exactly the same so it's like you, I think you need to have not a little barrier but just a level of self-protection where you're like this is their real life they are genuinely wearing that they're eating that food da, da, da. but something the fact that it's being watched or the th fact that we're like putting it online means there is some layer of it's not inauthentic but as you said it's just not I remember seeing a tweet which really made me laugh and people were like oh my god I'm just posting this for us it's like if you wanted a picture for yourself you'd print it out and put it on your wall you wouldn't like put it on Instagram like you don't actually have to share things but then I think there's also a lovely element to like people find it really calming or soothing or lovely to watch couples like sit and watch tv and eat and like there's an element of if you get joy from that that's so nice it's just kind of I think we're so in the matrix now we're so online our phones are so attached to us that it can be really hard to zoom out and actually be like whoa this is real life okay not my phone sometimes it can be quite hard to like separate yeah, I completely agree. Um, moving on in terms of relationships to um, romantic relationships, I know that you talk about this a lot and I think that you have covered heartbreak in so many various degrees on your Instagram and I love your conversations around it. Just for a show of hands, and I, I realise this is a podcast format so this is really not useful for those listening at home, but um, how many of you are single here? Okay, great. Let's go. Let's go there. So, not great, but great. Great, <laughs> but great actually. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know whether to celebrate that or not. But I do think I think it's great. Sorry, I think singles. it's great. I am. Um, I think that it's um, one of your best topics that you cover is dating, relationships, and heartbreak, and kind of especially at the moment, dating is so complex. And you know, I met my partner seven years ago, and even then, dating apps were becoming a little bit saturated and complicated, and I just found it really overwhelming. Um, but now I know that it's a completely different breed, and the whole dating market has changed. Market, awful word. <laughs> dating scene has changed. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you help? women embrace dating find the good in it and also deal with the fallouts from it so oh, I write about this in the book I write about some of my big exes and I call them xyz and then there's one at the end called Jay because he came in when I was writing the book um so <laughs> I'd I'd been in these really long-term relationships I had a really long well four years from 23 to 27 and when we broke up I hadn't really been single in London I never really dated so I was having the time of my life like I was like this is amazing some of my friends were really fatigued from dating but I I just found it really fun. I found it fascinating. I find people really interesting. I go on dates with men that I thought were terrible, but I'd say for hours being like, how could you be so awful? This is amazing. So fascinating. Just asking them all these questions. You're like, wow, this is so fun. And you get a free meal. So there's that. <clears throat> 
um, I don't. I don't know if I'm lucky, but I just. I've. I've fallen. I seem to fall in love. Either I'm. I'm really good at finding a man, or I've just got a really low bar. But I have a great time. And there's something about. I don't know. I found a lot of power in being single. I'd always dated these men, and th- no, actually, my last ex was so lovely, but he was really like sure of who he was and quite like knew what he wanted from life. And I felt like I didn't know what I wanted. I wanted to be free, and I found sometimes relationships would make me feel quite coddled and like I wasn't doing the right thing, and I should be more serious and being single and hanging out with my single friends I just felt like oh my god there's so much of the world for me to explore in a way that I didn't and not just snogging obviously but um in a way that I didn't feel like I could do in relationships like finding out more about myself and just having freedom and not being tied down to someone else's meal times or like the time they wanted to wake up there's a lot of good things in being single there are (laughs) and I think when I think back to my single time like it was great and I was you know I dated a lot but I think that we've almost got too used to this idea of it being so easily accessible um that it can become a bit of a kind of conveyor belt and women feel that there's my friends that I've spoken to that are single just find it so disinteresting now that they kind of they're like one of many for that week for example of dates that someone might have been on and they sort of feel that they're almost having to compete on another level in terms of someone genuinely wanting to find like a proper connection and a proper relationship I think there are a lot of commitment phobic men in the world um and I think that I think you really have to know like when you're speaking to someone I think you could it like first of all with dating you have to be really clear like if you're looking for a long-term relationship you have to set those boundaries out straight away and find out from men because they will treat you like their girlfriend for like six months and be like what no (laughs) we're not together um so it can be complicated like that I don't know I I think that there are so many people out there I don't like pushing this scarcity idea like scarcity mindset ideas I think there's so many people you can fall in love with I don't believe in the one as I said I've had like 10 and so like I I really think that we've got to stop approaching it thinking like oh my god there's like no one out there there are so many people but you need to broaden your horizons and you need to maybe stop going for the same type of person and just not being scared of it failing I think love is all about trying and giving it a go and finding out and maybe it won't work out but obviously this gets complicated when you're talking about if you want to have children but life is so long and we're kind of forced into thinking that we've got to meet the love of our lives especially as women like before we're 30 or before we're 35 because that's your window of like fertility but just just to butt in there and I'm so sorry to interrupt but I think that's actually a really crucial conversation to have is that I think we live in these two you know parallels couldn't get that out then on the one hand I'm like yeah you've got loads of time like don't don't put yourself into this box but on the other hand I feel like I have friends that are like oh that clock's ticking and I'm like it's a really hard mindset to get yourself out of to think that there's this kind of you know this luxury that's afforded to men I guess that they can just do whatever they want in terms of when they decide to settle down we're almost told that we don't have that luxury and that we need to be doing that so I think it almost creates this kind of um difficult mindset that you find yourself in where you want to just be like I'm calm I'm chilled like I can meet someone when I meet someone and that's absolutely fine but I think the reality is is that for some people whose um you know kind of future does hold children family whatever it becomes really hard to then constantly have that in the back of your mind I think and maybe this feels a bit like it might feel a bit out there to say, but life is so long and lots of people get divorced. And if you really want to have a baby and you're in your 30s and you find a partner that you think will be an incredible partner and would raise your children really well, I think there's no fear in thinking that maybe they're not the love of your life in one sense, but they will be the father of your children or your partner. And then maybe when you're 60, you'll meet this person that will bring you fireworks and love. And I just think that we maybe part of the fear thing is this idea that monogamy or that it's 50, 60 year relationship with the love of your life is going to be 
how it goes. I, I think that maybe we've got to change that up a bit and think I might have chapters in my life. I might have 30 years with this person. I might have th it's just, I think what makes it really scary is like, I've got to find the love of my life by 30. We're going to be together till we're 90. We're going to love each other forever. I mean, it's complicated. Exactly I, that. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, it sounds very, I don't think I want to be with someone for 60 years. That sounds like a very long time. But, but I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like, you know, we said that with our friendships, we have these seasons and we ebb and flow with friends. And I think that's seen as completely normal, but yet it isn't when it comes to romantic relationships. And I think that's really interesting. We put such a pressure on finding the one, but actually, and I know that like, you know, when before Paddy and I got engaged, like I, I know that he had a massive freak out about the fact that like, oh my God, is this going to be forever? Oh my God, there's all this pressure and whether I, you know, whether we were right for each other, and we had loads of really in-depth conversations about it. And it was really hard. And I remember being like, oh my God, like this does feel really like a big commitment. And we talked about getting engaged for a long time and for a long time we were like oh I don't know if it's for us because it almost felt so like final in the sense that you're putting that on it but I actually think it's so heartwarming to hear this idea of kind of I, I guess being more fluid and open and understanding that you know just because the relationships fall apart again going back to that friendship thing it doesn't mean it's a failure it's just that that person was there for that season of your yeah. life and there can be someone else and also I think like monogamy is a choice so if you want to be with someone in the long run you can do that and you can find a way to make it work but I guess it's also like having other questions I mean I'm now about to start talking about open relationships but like you don't know later on in the marriage maybe you'll think I'm gonna have like a month off and do like it doesn't have to be you know that I think that sounds ideal to me um <laughs> I don't think it has to be as stringent and it's like this is it now forever like life is really long imagine lying on a deathbed and being like oh my god I was just like made myself stay with this man because I was like what because of what do you know what I mean you can just shag the postman sorry am I allowed to swear <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um we're running out of time but I wanted to ask you my final question and then we are actually going to open up some questions for the, from the audience um your podcast is called adulting your book is called bad influence and I do feel like you've done a lot of your growing up online which has been so great to see so my final question to you was what was something that you changed your opinion on as you've got older um oh I was meant to think about this before and I forgot <laughs> um but I would say the parameters of how we measure success because I think I used to think it was about like how my body looked or how much money I earned or whatever and now I measure it on I had quite a bad like mental health blip at the beginning of the year I got quite depressed and came out of it thankfully and now I'm like how do I feel today do I feel good in my body am I happy am I okay am I not in like some kind of crisis if I can do that every single day then I'm like I'm really successful I love that and I also think us our measures of success change again ebbs and flows guys <laughs> it's the moral of the story from today but I do think that yeah I, I completely agree like in my own journey like I spent the first half of my career being like I just want to do this 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 and focus on my career and I think now I'm definitely shifting to see my friendships my happiness my enjoyment of life as as the biggest success and the biggest tick thank you so much Anoni you've been amazing brought the lols and all the fun and all the challenging conversations so thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you really grateful and thank you for being a wonderful audience um we would love to hear from you. I know that Anoni is brilliant at answering questions, so we have a wonderful roaming mic. So if you'd like to ask a question, stick your hand up. We would be happy to come to you. Hi, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has just been so inspiring. I love that you're both on your own journeys of inspiring others, and I'm a massive believer that inspiration comes from us being inspired first. So question for both of you, if we have time. Who's inspired you most on your journey and why? Mine is actually, it's such cliche, but it's my mum, because she like stopped work when she had me, and she raised me and my sisters, and she's like our best friend in the world. But everything I ever do, I actually have it tattooed on my arm, she would just say, go for it, because she, I think, grew up in a different time, and she's all she's ever wanted for me is just to try and go and do. 
And that was really inspiring because she would be like, just go for it, just find out and just do it. And actually that sent me on so many paths that I have been amazing, so many that I maybe shouldn't have gone down. And it's, it's taught me so much. And that, I found that really inspiring that she looked at me and was like, go and get all the things that I couldn't get. Because as women, as much as we have so much to do, I feel so grateful for how much access we have to everything really. I love that. I was gonna cry then. Mine's a little bit emotional, but I do think that, um, I think we have moments of our life where you go through certain things and things happen to you. And um, I remember that when I lost my period when I was too thin and I went to go and see a woman called Emma Cannon who is unbelievable and I write about her a lot in my book that's coming out next year. Um, she was like a mothering voice to me at a time when I think that I was so hard on myself and so convinced that what I was doing was right. And she really like posed questions to me in a very nurturing but very challenging way. And she just said, you're doing too much. You're too thin. You need to gain weight. And um, I can help you get there, but you need to start helping yourself first. And I think that um, she... Uh, writes a lot on Instagram I've had her on my podcast as well but she was someone that was a voice at the moment when I needed it that was very nurturing but challenging at the same time and I think that she was probably the catalyst for me really making a change in my own lifestyle and and, and I guess finding myself where I am today so yeah she was she was amazing to me thank you for th that question any other questions hi um hi. so I enjoy how much you're enjoying being single um I've just got out of a 14-year relationship. I'm 32. So I was just wondering, which app do you find to be the most successful? It's <laughs> a very good question. Um, I have to say, I think Hinge is probably the one to go for. I also would say that, okay, top tips of dating... Get them to, if they don't ask you out on a drink for the first like three messages, do not speak. Do not ever get into like a long conversation. It's just not worth your time. Um, mutual friends, great way to meet men. And also, you just need loads of single girlfriends. I say this to anyone who's single. Whatever you can do, the worst thing you do is not surround yourself with other single people and just be with like if your friends are, like married with kids because then it, you're not in the right places. You need to be in the single places with the single women, and they'll help you find the man. There's loads of them, by the way. <laughs> Why aren't they here? <laughs> Guys, I think we have to end now. An annoyingly, I think we, that was our last question. So um, we are out of time, but thank you so much. I know that Anoni and I are both going to hang around. So if you have any other questions, come and find us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time insanity group